You're listening to Ghost Radio, Station 0.5. It's the devil in the dive, and up next is another rad episode of Bad Band Great Song. <laughs> that's a strong bit that's a strong bit uh but speaking of bits are you ready are you good you good you want to get a, I, got, yeah, I have a question jeremy how is your how was how was your halloween dude how was your halloween man last year because this year's halloween hasn't happened yet <sighs> yeah but you know it try try and try you know, do a Trying to do a bet, you know, about about how was your Halloween, dude? <laughs> uh, Halloween's great. Halloween was great. Yeah, I had so much fun. I dressed up. How was yours? Uh, uh, was, uh, good. I don't know. It didn't happen yet, and I really don't know end to this bit. I can't keep it up. It's all right. I think that's all that bit deserved anyway. Yeah, how about that, folks? It's not yet actually after Halloween, but it is when you listen to it, and we tried, and it's the thought that counts, Something I think. like that. Well, hello, folks. If you didn't know what you're listening to at this point, this is the podcast will piss you off. I hope you all had a good Halloween. You know, uh, this is Bad Band. Great song. Hey, everybody, I'm your host, Andrew Patrick Finelli, and with me is your other host of the show, Jeremy Cohen. Jerry. How you doing? How you been? <laughs> well, uh, it's no longer Halloween, <laughs> but somehow uh, things are getting uh, even scarier. You've really thrown me a loop with time here. I just like... We time travel It's before Halloween. It's after Halloween. Well, it's for the folks at home, when they're listening to this, it's definitely going to be after Halloween. That's okay. for sure shit. Right. That's for shit, sure. But even though it's no longer Halloween, folks, things are getting even scarier. Because the band we're focusing our critique on today is Smash Mouth and their song, All Star. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Fed to the rules and I hit the ground running. Didn't make sense not to live for fun. Your brain gets smart, but your head gets dumb. So much to do, so much to see. So what's wrong with taking the back streets? You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. I wrote here to sing the whole song. Normally, I yeah, pick some. Yeah, I saw few, that. What I is pick that a couple you, lyrics. What are you trying to do here? You know, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna save it this episode. <laughs> but the plan, the plan was to just go through the whole thing. There's a lot of plans and a lot of thoughts that count in this episode. You know. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Well, hey, folks. Smash Mouth and All Star is the. Um... Ah! <sighs> that kind of episode.
All Stars, the song that cemented Smash Mouth's career as a record executive's dream come true. All Star tragedy though. <laughs> like, that was there's a moment there where it was a dream come true. Right. That's true. Very true. It does this oh folks. Yeah, oh, you probably know why we're doing this episode now. But anyway, All Star is not only Smash Mouth's biggest hit, it's one of the most profitable songs ever. And it's the song that proved they weren't a one hit wonder. They're a two hit wonder. That's a whole different show. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, uh, listen, I honestly have no idea Smash Mouth has genuine fans anymore, like outside of, you know, children. I mean, like, I've. I've met like I've met puddle of mud fans, you know what I mean? But yeah. I, I don't think I've ever actually met a Smash Mouth fan. So I don't think people will get mad when we say that they're a bad band. There are probably some stands out there, maybe somewhere, but, but whatever, I don't know. But hey, well anyway, listen. As always, while we look at that, you know, the band being bad, we're not here to prove to the Smash Mouth diehards <laughs> that their favorite band is bad. No. No, no, no. We're here to prove to the skeptics, which is I definitely I think ourselves in this in this case <laughs> for sure uh, that their song "All Star" is great. I don't. Oh God, this really was a fucking painful. Anyway, so we're going to examine Smash Mouth and their song "All Star" in detail to articulate how and why to make the case that though Smash Mouth is <laughs> yeah, Smash Mouth is a bad band, All Star. Is a great song. So, hey, let's take a trip to Flavortown. 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 Somebody once told me... The world is kind of roamy. No, they told me that this too shall pass, that nothing lasts, and take it easy. My dad told me that. My dad. My dad loved George Harrison. He also loved the Eagles. And Smash Mouth? Thankfully, no. No. But he did love the Eagles, which is, is definitely not within the confines of 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 a, of, a, of Lebowski. What do they call it? The, 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 the Lebowskiism or whatever that big Lebowski religion is. Well, whatever. Eagles are cool, man. Whatever. You know what? The Eagles are fucking cool. But we're not here to talk about the Eagles. The fact is... The years start coming, and they they don't stop coming. Fed to the rules that I hit the ground running. There's shocking amounts of truth to those lyrics, actually, and I don't even want to admit that. But ah, uh, where I'm going with this is uh, what a way to start the episode. I can't believe I did. Well, back in 2014, um, my dad died, folks. I was 27. I was 27 at the time, uh, and he had leukemia, but he was living with it. Um, and it was actually stage four undiagnosed lung tumor that got him. I love you, Andrew. I love you, Cherry. I love you, man. Thank you. Uh, it was and still is one of the gravest and um, saddest and definitely, definitely truly life-changing experiences I've ever known. But, you know, but it, it, it definitely has made me think about how nonsensical and and kind of just brain-breakingly disorienting that it would be to be a parent who loses a child. Yeah, no words for that. Right. So, in July 2001, the six-month-old son of Smash Mouth's lead singer, Steve Harwell, died. Oh, no. Yeah, Harwell's son name was named... Presley, 
Presley passed due to complications of acute lymphocytic leukemia. Uh, just three months later, Smash Mouth released the follow-up to their commercial breakthrough, and they had to support it, as bands do. You were right. This did get scarier. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, there's, there's no surprise as to why we're doing a Smash Mouth episode. Jerry and I... I, you know, I, we try and we try, we work hard to kind of obfuscate and blur the lines. We don't really want this show to be too easily tied to any single time and place in human history. We don't really want to reference current events as they happen, you know. We want the show to exist in your reality, folks at home, you know, the real reality. <laughs> yeah, we'd also like to think it exists in some other realities too. Definitely does. But, you know, I guess that's another conversation. Which I'll touch on a little bit right now, because this show definitely exists in our own reality. You know, Ghost Radio, Station 0.5, somewhere in between. But, folks, Steve Harwell and Smash Mouth, they are in the news. You most likely know why, but if you haven't heard, um... Harwell has had a very public episode, a meltdown, shall we say. So this is this is a timely episode, is what we're saying. Yeah, well, even though we'll cover this more, I think it's worth noting right now, this wasn't just like a social media public episode. No, right, right. Like, this was, this public episode was on stage during a Smash Mouth performance. Yeah, it's, it's rough. Uh a, a person video video say videotaped it, recorded it on their TikTok, posted it to TikTok, went viral. It's a thing. You can find it, folks. The videos have actually been getting removed. The videos have actually been getting removed and taken down, but you can you can you can still find links to it, of course. Oh man. Well, we're going to do something a little different than what I think some other folks have been doing. We're not going to dunk on Steve Harwell. Because it would be too easy. It, you know, you know. <laughs> it, listen, it's clear he has severe problems. Just one of the illnesses, you know, he's been diagnosed with were were, were necky encephalopathy. And listen, if I pronounce anything crazy in today's episode, folks, it's because I spent all my energy making sure I understand how to pronounce were necky were necky encephalopathy. Anyway, good, good job. Good thank draft. you. I try, you know. Anyway, folks, that illness is directly associated with alcoholism. And again, regardless of what he was like beforehand, the man's son died, and then he had to, you know, get the show on, get paid. After all, he's a rock star. Hmm. How about that? Yeah, man. All that glitters is gold. <laughs> yeah. So, you see, folks... A lot has led to the moment we're at now. Steve Harwell's been through a lot. And we're just another show making an episode about him. But we're not going to dunk on him. We'll call out some strange behavior, but we're not going to dunk on Steve Harwell. Yeah. The ice we skate is getting pretty thin here. <laughs> but the water is getting warm, so we might as well swim, you know? What? <laughs> Woo. Whoa, Jeremy. Yeah, this is this episode basically wrote itself. This okay. is true. <laughs> it's very, very poetic prose here. I love you, Jerry. This is good stuff. No, 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 folks. In fact, we've set today's story up the way we didn't make to make this clear. Smash Mouth is a little, <laughs> a little more surprising than you may think. They are a joke. 
They are mean. They do absolutely fucking suck. Yeah. But beneath all of that is a story of heartache, loss, fears of selling out, excess, and infighting. Might as well be walking <laughs> on the sun. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll really stop. No, I think you're just getting started, man. Smash Mouth is most associated with Shrek, children, and just all-around goofiness. But they're a ska punk band that became bigger than anybody ever imagined. A truly unsexy and uncool band with a gruff lead singer would ever get. Scrap, scratch that. They, they became bigger than anybody ever imagined a sexy and cool band with a smooth lead singer would get. They're a band with as much heartache as humor. And also the film Mystery Men. <laughs> Filmmakers really love the this The Ben band. Stiller classic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget that one. Well, and they're a band that is now more of a brand than they are a band. You know, and as a band, they're completely unrecognizable. The only original member left is Paul DeLille, and he wasn't even one of the main songwriters. Yeah, literally only one left. Spoiler alert, Steve Harwell isn't even in Smash Mouth anymore. Yeah. That voice we love. The voice of, the vo- the voice of a generation. That all-star voice. So, this. <laughs> this is the story of Smash Mouth. Hey, now. <laughs> Smash Mouth. <laughs> that was a real, and so our story starts, you know, kind of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello. And here's the beginning. This is the beginning of our story. Smash Mouth. <laughs> Miriam <laughs> Webster defines Smash Mouth as, quote, characterized by brute force without finesse. The word apparently, quote, crashed its way into the English language during the 1984 football season to describe the brutally hard-hitting play that is characteristic of the game. As any of us who were kicking it in the 90s know, Smash Mouth became a term used to describe a lot, from over-the-top morning drive radio with brash toilet and humor to the style of professional wrestling that was popular at the time to the way the music, the, the, the music the kids were listening to and the way it sounded. That's crazy. I really always thought it was some crude sexual reference. Did you really? Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of like weird, bad... Sex jokes of their songs, I feel like. Uh, I like definitely a horny band <laughs> for how unhorny this episode is. I mean, yeah, this is not a horny episode on our end, folks. Uh, well, and listen, and of course, Smash Mouth was also the name of a rock band. Which now, one? We- <laughs> 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 anyway, we have two primary sources for today, folks. We have other sources and we call them out, but these two sources are definitely our primary sources. Rolling Stone Magazine's June 29th, 2019 piece by Brittany Spanos titled, Somebody Once Told Me, An Oral History of Smash Mouth's All-Star and... Free Brittany. <laughs> hell yeah. And we're, we're, Brittany, we're Brittany fans here, folks. We're pro-Brittany. We're pro-Brittany. Anyway, Stereo Gums July... Stereo Gums July 7th, 2017 piece, Q&A, Steve Harwell on 20 Years of Smash Mouth and coming to terms with all those all-star memes. Which never happened. Yeah, that was, he's not coming to terms with those folks. We'll talk about that soon. Uh, <laughs> in the latter piece, we get a good glimpse into what Smash Mouth's career was just like, you know, just a bit before they blew up. 
But before we get there, let's establish where they were. And our story begins. And so our story begins. <laughs> oh, man. Before ever being part of Smash Mouth, vocalist Steve Harwell was part of a rap group dating back to 1990. They were called F. OS, which stands for freedom of speech, an important phrase and concept that unfortunately in 2021 kind of makes you sound like an alt-writer or just a regular old conservative, yeah. you know, if you're like, if you're out there, if you're out there like crying about freedom of speech and lack of it, unfortunately in this day and age, you're, if you're in America, you're probably, you probably think that the kids are in the furniture, you know, and, and, and that, and that, that Q guy's got some right ideas. Yeah, not to mention the first song that comes up is called Big, Big Black Bla Boots, yeah. which also has a real alt-right vibe to it. <laughs> <laughs> it could! Yes, it could. From a band called Freedom of Speech, like you put those, it's just like it keeps adding up. Well, now, is that not interesting? The intersection of kink and fetish and 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 fascists. Hmm. If very interesting similar sartorial tastes. Uh. Yeah, how about that? Very interesting stuff. <laughs> Moving on. Harwell tells Stereo Gum about FOS saying, "Oh man. I just one song that I recorded with this guy in the studio one day and that's how I met my manager. We ended up getting some love at a local radio station, Hot 97.7 with one song." Uh, and, you know, we worked that into a recording contract with the Scotty Brothers. The Scotty Brothers. Scotty Brothers Records, that is. And at the time, they had Weird Al Yankovic. The best. And Survivor. Very Something. strange. Yeah, and they were also a production company that owned the rights to Baywatch. That's how they made all their money. So we did a singles deal with them. <laughs> They were scary. I remember being in their office in Santa Monica with my manager and just crazy shit happening. Literally, this A&R guy got tossed down the stairs in the back. Wow. This car pulls around, and they throw him in and take off. We're terrified, what? just staring at the back door, and the brothers, the Scotty brothers, the Scotty brothers are like, hey, hey, eyes over here. Around the time we were, you know, about to put out our single, this kid Snoop Dogg, Steve, this Steve Harwell guy, this kid Snoop Dogg came out and changed everything. I was at a radio convention in Las Vegas watching MC Hammer of all people, and I just looked at my manager and said, I'm tired of this hip-hop shit. I want to start an alternative rock band. <laughs> he said, you're crazy. It was hard enough getting this, but he followed me down the path, and here we are. Wow. How about that? The manager to whom Harwell's referring is a man named Kevin Coleman. Coleman would eventually become Smash Mouth's first drummer. Ooh. By 1994, Smash Mouth had formed. That's a good way to get a double paycheck for the band. <laughs> Two contracts, Coleman. Yeah. Coleman pulled in guitarist Greg Camp and bassist Paul DeLille. Camp and DeLille had been playing in their own hip-hop group. Lack of daddy. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I'm not going. I, I'm. Not, I don't. I. I do not understand the name. I'm not going to pretend to understand the name. Lack of daddy, a hip hop group featuring two members of Smash Mouth called Lack of Daddy. Fucking white people, huh? What are we doing? Okay, Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth would go on to perform tirelessly as they sought to prove themselves in the local San Jose, California ska punk scene. Yeah, that's right. Smash Mouth's career began as a traditional and straightforward American third wave ska punk band 
but without the brass section. For some reason, I feel like this is the least surprising fact we're going to learn on today's episode. Might you? <laughs> it actually might be, yeah. Bands of this cohort include Less Than Jake, Real yeah. Big Fish, Big D, and the Kids Table, and so, 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 so many more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And a band called Operation Ivy. Hmm. Mm. How about that? But if you ask me, the only American ska punk band there is comes from good old New York City. Shouts out to C Squad. <laughs> Shouts out to a Crack Rock City. Choking victim. Leftover crack. Man, you oh, know there's no such yeah. thing as leftover crack. NYC hardcore. It's real. I wonder how many times C Squad has been shouted on in a podcast <laughs> before. Yo, I, this may be the first podcast. The first podcast to shout out C-Squat and Stizza. I think so. Maybe. Maybe. Well, we'll give ourselves that award and designation right now. There's a lot of fucking podcasts. And how Maybe one of them shouts out C-Squat. Who knows? We'll see. If you know about C-Squat, come talk to me. Are you Googling this right now? We'll talk about this. We'll talk about this off air. Yes, Smash Mouth was a ska punk band and their first record, Fushio Meng, shows us that. That's actually a Scarface reference. I didn't know that. I tried to say that like Scarface, but I can't really do that. You really can't. I'm not going to. We're not. We're never. I'm never going to say it like that again. Fush you, Mang. How about that? Well, you know, uh, I think I have actually many friends who would like this record. Minus Walking on the Sun, if you didn't tell them who it was. Yeah, I'm definitely sneaking a couple of those songs on some playlists somewhere. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. It's it's interesting. So, how did we get to Fush You, Mang? I Tell us how the fush shit happened, man. Fucking hate saying that. Well, as Harwell tells Stereo Gum, well, we had been a band for a couple of years and we were showcasing around and our manager set up a bunch of gigs in LA and we had just had this horrendous show at the Roxy. We fucked the pooch hard. That's not the expression. I've heard screwed. You screwed yeah, the pooch? you screwed, you screwed, the, screwed the, pooch. the pooch. Yes, he's a gruff dude, man. He's a gruff He's a gruff dude. He's like, I don't screw pooches. I fuck pooches. Yeah, it's just... Oh. Folks, if you ever see Steve Harwell, don't let him, don't let him near your dog. Anyway, moving on. Our second... Uh. Sec- <laughs> so, so, folks, don't, don't tweet at him about dogs. Don't be nice to Steve yeah, Harwell. Yeah. Our second... Anyway, Steve Harwell, was, after he was done talking about fucking dogs, he continued... Our set got pushed. We had A&R guys coming out early, and they didn't get to see us. Problems with electrical equipment. My guitarist smashes guitar on stage. It was just all bad. So we drove home with our tail between our legs. Funny thing to say about after talking about fucking dogs. Anyway, we thought for sure this is it. We're done. So we called up our manager and said, I think we're fucking done. Why don't you come over? Let's have a conversation. And in that conversation, we decided, well, wouldn't it be fun to make a record and just sell it to our friends? You know, so wouldn't it be fun? Yeah, that'd be fun. That was a fun time. So our manager agreed and said, hey, I've got this producer friend named Eric Valentine, who at the time was producing Third Eye Blind's debut record. Mm. Why don't I see a film a record for us, you know? And he actually offered to pay for it, but he said... Give me a couple of weeks to go back to the industry and try to get you a deal. We kind of laughed. <laughs> we laughed. They laughed. They laughed, Jerry. How about that? They laughed. Well, they next- didn't even believe. <laughs> I'm telling you, they don't even like their own song. <laughs> well, next in the Stereo Gun piece, Harwell begins to explain how their debut album came together. It already seems like a ton of luck was involved. The guy really was a smooth talker, huh? 
Apparently, Steve Harwell was actually quite a good smoozer. Smoozer, 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 smoozer. Holy shit. Smoozer. I just had a stroke on, on, on record. Anyway, how about that, folks? Now, here's where Harwell comes off like a bit of a prick. And it won't be the last time. Just a bit. Keep in mind who he's... <laughs> He's about to mention is his friend. This person he's about to mention is his friend, the original manager and the first drummer for Smash Mouth. He's also allegedly the one who helped discover their their first hit, the one that was written from Greg Camp's demo tapes. He's the one who sifted through the demo tapes and found Walking on the Sun. Oh, man. I will concede it's hard to say how much of, of Harwell just naturally a mean guy versus his illnesses. Alcoholism can definitely help to bring out the mean. And the fun. Uh, <laughs> Wernicke encephalopathy is a neurological disease and it can affect behaviors. Mm. Well, here we go. This is what Steve Harwell had to say. We had the majority of the record done and Kevin, our drummer at the time, he sucked. <laughs> he sucked. He had to practice every day to keep up with us. Funny about that, and a musician having to practice. Weird. So weird, Steve Harwell. Hmm. So, Greg... Camp, or the guitarist, the main songwriter, he had a bunch of cassette, cassette demos he had written along the way, and that's what Kevin would practice to. And Kevin came across the demo version of Walking on the Sun, and he called us up and he said he, he thinks that, this is, that he found a hit song. Next thing you know, everyone's down in the studio. We knew this was different than anything else we have. We were a ska punk band at the time. We had no idea we, it would go to number one. Walking on the Sun would be the first song to initially change everything for Smash Mouth. It was a song that Greg Camp wrote for <laughs> Lack of Daddy, but it was <laughs> it was rejected. Yeah, I mean, it definitely would not have worked for that band in any way, and it clearly worked really, 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 really well for Smash Mouth. Yeah, how would the fuck would that have been a hip-hop song? Like, yeah, I what? don't even know. It's even more offensive now when I think about what Greg... Uh, I'll bring it up when we get into it. Well... Yeah. Oh, God. Walking on the Sun is an anomaly. One that would go on to define Smash Mouth and their sound, which is perhaps not something you want with something that's anomalous, right? This was not the ba who the band was and not what the band sounded like. They were a ska punk band. Yeah, exactly that and nothing else. Really? That first record... Is that classic ska punk, you know, you either love or you hate or whatever it is, but it's like that one thing. And other than, other than the boys from C-Squat, I'll leave it. And it was a song that was much closer to their core sound that got them their first sliver of recognition. Nervous in the Alley. That song saw heavy rotation on local radio station KOME and earned Smash Mouth a spot on the station's 1996 Summer Festival with Beck and No Doubt. Now, a detail that gets overlooked, San Jose's favorite, KOME 98.5, was a major proponent of Walking on the Sun, specifically a young DJ by the name of Carson Daly. Yes, America's first Ryan Seacrest. And also one of the biggest hair gel lobbyists <laughs> of the 90s. Yeah, yeah, Carson Daly was definitely part of big hair gel. Big hair gel, yeah. for sure. Well, this Ryan Seacrest had black hair, a more unassuming and at times uncouth demeanor, and he hung out with Fred Durst. Ooh. For, for those who don't know, like, like, 
like the actual Ryan Seacrest, Carson Daly, a.k.a. Seacrest V1, started his career as a DJ before blowing up on national television. And turning into the world's biggest VJJ. That's right. For Daly, it was a show called Total Request Live on a channel that used to be called Music Television. Music- it's still called that. It's called MTV. Was it? Uh, they changed the name to MTV. Just like KFC for a while was no longer Kentucky Fried Chicken. It was just KFC. Uh-huh. All right, all right, all right. But I think KFC is actually back to being Kentucky Fried Chicken now. MTV is just MTV. It's a meaningless acronym now, technically. Uh, sure. How about that? Yeah, well, you don't have to. How ag- about you it? You don't have to agree with it, but that's what's going on. Anyway, I agree. I do agree, though. You know, okay. <laughs> Well, Daly eventually, before going to MTV, he went from KOME to K-Rock. K-Rock. And being the guy he was, he is, he kept spinning one of his favorite tunes, Smash Mouth's Walkin' on the Sun. (laughs) This led to the band being signed by Interscope, actually. And Interscope went on to release Smash Mouth's debut album. July 8th, 1997. Smash Mouth released Fush You Mang, their major label debut via Interscope. <laughs> that was not an accent. I just said it was strange. Speaking of strange, I wrote it as Fish You Mang in this next sentence. How about that? Fush You Mang is named for Al Pacino's slurred delivery of the line, Fuck You Man, and Scarface, because it was the 90s and they are straight men. So, you know. Scarface, duh, right? And that was that was big with boys in the nineties. Yeah, I mean this this band basically is a shitty all over print, like yeah. leather <laughs> leather Scarface jacket. Yeah. Like, so many, yeah. like a leather jacket with all the screenshots for the yes. movie. Like that's yes. what Smash Mouth is. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. If Smash Mouth were an East Coast band and not a West Coast band, that's what they would have been. Totally. Yes, you nailed it, dude. That's amazing. Well, fuck you, Mang. Fuck! Uh, I don't want to say it with an accent. I Just really say don't. Fuck you, man. Fuck you, man. Was seemingly it was a seemingly innocuous and undeniably unremarkable ska punk album. Except for one thing. It had a track. The track. Walking on the Sun. I think you mean. The department store classic track, <laughs> Walking on the Sun. Yeah. Yeah, I literally remember being a kid and staring at a shitty TV hanging from a department store ceiling and like watching the fucking music video while sure. I'm this shop. Sure. That's like, incredible. I, rem- I remember it just being like, <gasps> what an experience. Yeah, it's like a terrible video. So we too. talked about this with the bravery, but I feel like, I mean, it really is smash. They smash them out. This is peak grocery store rock. Like, Department store rock, whatever you want to call it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, this is, and I mean, we'll talk about it. They are perhaps, if they're not, if not the most licensed out band ever, just because of one song, they're up there. Before we get there, Walking on the Sun is one of those songs, much like Somebody's Watching Me, or perhaps more appropriately, OMC's How Bizarre. You you say, like, How Bizarre. How bizarre. How bizarre. How bizarre. How bizarre. How bizarre. That's, that's, that's OMC. That's OMC. Okay. We'll get there one day, folks. Cool. Yeah. Walking on the Sun has a novel and gimmicky element to it, but not quite in the same way as those songs. In fact, I wager Walking on the Sun's sunny SoCal barbecue and bowling shirts retro lounge pop owes much more of its success to America's fleeting fascination with throwback sounds in the 90s. Let's look at what else was going on around then. The movie Swingers came out just one year prior, okay? 
and the weirdest fuck swing revival that 30 some odd year olds were obsessed with in the 90s was bubbling up and over with a uh, other weird fucking bands that were basically memes and wouldn't be successful in any other time period. I guess, uh, just, I mean, they wouldn't have been successful in the time period they were reviving, but yeah, I'm talking about bands like Cherry Pop and Daddies and the Brian Setzer Orchestra and, oh, Brian, oh, Brian, we'll get to you soon. We'll rock this town tonight, one night for sure, soon. You're talking about the song by the Stray Cats mm-hmm. or whatever? Okay. Oh, meow. Yeah, I don't. I don't know anything about that band. I'm really curious to see what that story is like. <laughs> so am I, actually, because I don't fucking know anything about them right now either. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there, folks. Ah, uh, that's right. This show's going to be around for a while. There's a <laughs> lot of songs. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of bad bands who happen to have the halfway decent songs. Well, that will argue is great for some fucking reason. <laughs> For one reason or another. Yeah. So we as a culture, we're primed for this bullshit, right? Plus it was the 90s, good vibes all around. Clinton was president. Everything was cool and great, right? You know, as long as you were a straight, preferably Christian white male. Yeah, you've all seen I Love the 90s, right? <laughs> it's exactly that. It's just that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I actually, I may have tapped out by the time they got to I Love the 90s, but I loved, I fucked with I Love the 80s and I Love the 70s. I just love, I love. I, I love, I love too, man. Well, Walking on the Sun is a strange song, as I think we've established. Like All Star, the lyrics are foolish and seek to tackle subject matter that Greg Camp isn't adequately prepared to tackle, especially with his penchant for incessant rhyming, making quips, and keeping thoughts relegated to couplets. In Camp's own words to the LA Times' Jerry Crow for a January 10th, 1998 piece. Oh dear. That was not part of the quote. That was me. That was me prefacing. That was me reading the quote before I fucking read this. Okay, Okay. so quote starts now. There was a lot of racial tension everywhere because of the riots. He means the 1992 L.A. riots, which began as a response to the acquittal of four LAPD officers who savagely beat Rodney King. Quote continues. And as I was riding my bicycle through a neighborhood one night, I was kind of afraid where normally I wouldn't be afraid. I looked around and said, why does it have to be like this? It's time to write a a, a protest, a, a 90s let's all get along type of song. And so I kind of wrote it while I was riding my bike. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Fuck you, dude. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Guy, Greg Camp. I'm sure you're a nice guy, but fuck you and your privilege for feeling unsafe riding your bicycle around in your neighborhood. Be black, put your hood up, and try riding that bike around any anywhere, anytime, and see what happens. See how safe you feel when you when you see those organized criminals called cops loitering about in that situation, Gregory Camp. What the fuck? I mean, he did write the lyric, it ain't no joke, I'd like to buy the world a toke. <laughs> you can't be too mad at that. No, that's that's great. And I do I do appreciate 
I, <laughs> Smash Mouth has a weird. They have a song called Stoned on I on I think it's Astro Lounge. Yeah, they're from the West Coast. I, it's just amazing. You wouldn't think. I don't know. And ah, oh, duh. Just listen. My, the whole blah, 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 we're gonna move past this, but my, I just want to say, if your response to people rebelling against reckless police brutality, and yes, yo, the, lo, 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 looting, innocent people getting hurt in 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 what became riots, it's not good. But if your response to that situation is, why can't we all get along? Uh, I wager you have some weak thinking, maybe some weak views, maybe some problematic views, maybe some views that might get a little too close to like, well, there were bad people on both sides of the argument, you know, which can not always... I'm going to move on. Anyway, that aside, Walking on the Sun was a massive single. It peaked at number two, number two on the Billboard Hot 100. This is one of those times where... Nothing we say can actually indicate kind of just how big this song was, but let me try. Let's do it. Thanks 100% to Walking on the Sun, a ska punk band with a bunch of, sorry, ugly dudes, <laughs> none of whom are remotely remarkable talents, became full-on famous as fuck rock stars. No. Yeah, biggest of the time. Pop stars. Yeah, uh, huge. Yeah, yeah, pop stars. Huge. Harwell tells Rolling Stone in their oral history of all-star. Walking on the Sun changed music. <laughs> fucking Walking on the Sun changed music. It changed the way people listen to music. I've talked to other artists over the years, and they said the day that song came on radio, they were like, we're fucked. It was so different. It was so unusual. And it was so special. It just had that sound that we created. <laughs> Ask anybody that tried to copy us. You can't. You just can't. Well, <laughs> in case you couldn't tell, folks, Steve Harwell's name should be perhaps Steve Hubris. Oh, sick burn. Yeah, I got him. Oh, I got him. Yeah, I got him where he sleeps at night. But for a while, anyway, that hubris was supported. The album went double platinum in the States and peaked at number 19 on the Billboard 200 album chart. That's a lot of chart. That is a lot of chart. The band went on tour, played some big shows, and partied hard. They were true celebrities at this point, and their career had just started. The band quickly followed up the album's singles that flopped the Fonz and a cover of Why Can't We Be Friends with their cover of Can't Get Enough of You Baby for the Can't Hardly Wait soundtrack. This song was Smash Mouth's next true hit, and their first since Walking on the Sun to hit the Billboard Hot 100, where it peaked at number 27. And while the band was on tour, their label asked them to begin to work on their sophomore album. So they did. Producer Eric Valentine shed some light for Rolling Stone on where the band was during this point of their career. They had this dubious distinction of having a very, very successful record, but it was also one of the most returned albums because the very visible single Walking in the Sun was so different than the rest of the record. People would get the record and it was like, what is going on? Why, why, why is all the rest of this music so different? Yeah, imagine returning an album you bought. Like, you'd, you, you kind of have to just, like, take the gamble back in the day. Like, you could have listened to the whole thing online pretty absurd to it, just be like i'm gonna return this and that's, that's a part of buying it that's actually allegedly you might like this story jeremy that's actually a big part of why Nevermind was so successful is because a bunch of kids who got michael jackson's record that year for christmas returned it 
Ah, uh, there you go. A lot of people who didn't want a Michael J- pop Michael Jackson pop record got a pop record, returned it, and that helped. Never mind to climb the charts. Yeah, there you go. How about that? Well, anyway, guitarist get Greg Camp expounds on this. Our fans sort of split into two. Some of them were like, "Whoa, this is great! This is what we want." A lot of fans were disappointed when they heard "Walking on the Sun" on the radio, and when they bought the album. And there's like this bombastic, you know, thrashy album. They were disappointed. So the band got to work on their sophomore album, Astro Lounge. Hell yeah. Astro Lounge is the album that would actually change Smash Mouth's career and the lives of all members. Damn, that album even changed my life. I have a distinct memory of getting that CD at Costco with my dad one time, too. That's incredible. I do have a lot of memories attached to Smash Mouth for some reason. That is incredible. That is incredible, Jeremy. The order of the day was to make an album that featured song after song that sounded like it was by the band that made Walking on the Sun. No more ska punk. No stylistic experimentations. Not unless it served the ultimate goal of mining the sound and style that Walking on the Sun made the blueprint for. Which is totally the logical thing to do at this point. Yeah, sure. No, I not. Sure. Especially if you've got no musical direction anyway you're like fucking whatever dude this did good let's keep going it does make sense it does it does especially from a commercial point of view camp tells rolling stone the first record was written by all of us collectively we would all just get in a room and whatever happened that's what you heard on the first record on the second record it was obvious that i was more of the pop person in the band so it's up to me to take over and just write some songs so With Camp at the songwriting helm, the band dug in deep and cut what they thought was the final version of Astro Lounge, featuring songs inspired by the tone of Walking on the Sun. Might as well be walking on the sun. I feel like slowly over the course of the episode, somehow, maybe like a a full quarter of a Smash Mouth song will be sung by you. It might not be All Star, but, but a Smash Mouth song will be sung by you somehow. Yeah, we'll get there. So Camp says... We moved in that direction pretty easily because it was just me and the producer working out sonically what the record was going to sound like and the direction of it with a little help from Interscope. Mostly they noticed that there was a 60s twinge in there somewhere, which was actually the thing I liked most. It's what I grew up listening to, and it was really I was really into instrumental surf music from the 60s and, and loungy music. But as they tell Rolling Stone, the record was rejected as it was. Robert Hayes, the band's manager since 1996, tells Rolling Stone, they came to me at one point and said, the record is done, here it is, we want you to deliver to Interscope, to the record company. We're done. So I did. We delivered delivered the record, and our A&R guy was Tom Whaley at the time, and uh, Jimmy Iovine was the chairman of the record company. And I got a call from Tom, and he said, hey, hey, (laughs) Hey, I just listened uh, through your record with Jimmy, and uh, you're not done. We don't hear a single, so keep working. Yeah, that's going to suck to hear. (laughs) Yeah, right? And spoken like a true stooge in a suit, like a real just mm, capitalist piece of shit who made more money than he had any right to, Tom Whaley, former president of Interscope, tells Rolling Stone, Careers take a certain path, and the path that theirs took was huge success at commercial radio that drove their fan base. To not repeat that would have set their career back in a far more difficult way. 
just it's just funny how all snakes sound so similar. How about that? Isn't that interesting? Fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, he's not wrong. No, he's not <laughs> wrong, but... Yellow doesn't have but, a shining single at this point at all. Well, Whaley keeps the corporate doublespeak bullshit, in my opinion, going with. Our approach at Interscope wasn't this cliched thing of, you don't have a hit, go write a hit. We would go sit with the band and give them advice about what they needed to do and empower the band to make their own decision. When I explained to them that they didn't have a song that could follow up Walking on the Sun, they took that advice to task. (laughs) I fucking hate you, man. I'm sure you're a great dude to the people you care about and that you've made more money than I could ever comprehend. But you know what, man? You're a fucking tool, dude. Fuck you, son. You've really fuck you to a couple people in this episode. Fuck you to a couple people in this episode. I'm getting very reckless, and I apologize for it. And, Jerry, you're right. This guy, from his point of view, he was right. He's right. He's just making records. He's just making records. But, man, boy, is it a shame what industry is. Yeah, I mean. How about that? I hear you, but, you know, we wouldn't have this episode without him. So I say thank you. Wow. Wow. Hashtag thank you, Tom Whaley. Mm-hmm. Still too old, though. But he's right. Smash Mouth took that advice to task. Within a few days, Greg Camp had written, then the morning comes, and of course, All-Star. Yeah, very right. He was very right. So you're probably wondering how a song like All-Star gets written. <laughs> well... Let's look at the sausage. Let's learn how it's made. Blood, guts, organs turned into casing and all. That's why you're a vegetarian, right? (laughs) It's it's not not. But anyway, manager Robert Hayes tells Rolling Stone, one night I sat Greg down, opened up a Billboard magazine and said, dude, let's just go through this. I want a little piece of each one of these songs. The top 50 at the time was us. Uh, Wow, it's so funny that Smash Mouth was in the top 50 at the time. It's hilarious. The top 50 at this time was Smash Mouth, Sugar Ray, Third Eye Blind, Vertical Horizon, Bare Naked Ladies, Marcy Playground, Chumbawamba. He left, and two days later, he walks into my office with a cassette tape. I popped it in, and there was All Star on this cassette. Boom. I stopped and looked at him, and he goes, what, you don't like it? I said, are you freaking kidding me? This is a smash! A smash mouth. <laughs> How about that, huh? That's actually interesting and fascinating stuff. Like, actually, kind of vile. Seems very K-pop-esque. Actually, pretty fucking incredible. I'm impressed by it. I hate it, but I'm impressed by it. I mean, you can't hate on them for achieving exactly what they set out to do. I hate a little bit, but you're right. They did write a fucking smash. Mouth? Mouth. Uh, regarding Greg Camp's demos, Harwell goes... Full douchebag with Rolling Stone. Stone mouth. (laughs) It was Greg singing the demo, so it didn't sound like it should. Not talking shit, but I am. It sounded, um, a little feminine. (laughs) Didn't sound rock and roll. Once I got my hands on it, we turned it into Smash Mouth. Uh Oh my. Very scary episode. That's, uh, that's so true. That's true. Well, moving on. Steve Harwell, from someone who's a little feminine, 
Fuck you, buddy. Third, fuck you, buddy. This one was really deserved. Choose your words better next time. Being a little feminine is a wonderful thing. Stupid donkey. Yeah, I fucking hate the I'm not talking shit, but I am thing. Yo, what? (laughs) Does he have any speaking ability? Like, what is his... What is he... What an idiot. (laughs) Amazing guy. Well, during the recording of this album, Kevin Coleman would be replaced primarily for All-Star by drummer Michael Urbano. Fun anecdote, Urbano claims he only heard the song three times total before it blew up, and he would go on to... Essentially, never stop hearing it. That's kind of nice, though. That had to suck for the engineer who heard it like a, however many times <laughs> it took to record it and then had to hear it also for the rest, the rest of, of time. Yeah, you exactly. know, like only three before if you're involved with the project is not that bad. Fair. No, and that's the thing about this drummer is he's incredible. So he just heard it like twice and then played it. Right. And did it in like one take. He may have done two. I don't know. It was like very, very minimal. Well, and one last thing about the writing and creation of All-Star. There's an interesting studio trick in there. Producer Eric Valentine explains it to Rolling Stone. There's live drums on the song, and they're layered with drum loops as well to just give it a more vintage sound. At the time, I was doing that a lot, using recordings of old records, drums from old records, and layering them in with modern drum recordings to try to give it this more nostalgic sound. Some of them are very obscure, and some of them are a little more identifiable. Because somebody else owns those recordings, it's probably better if I didn't say exactly where they came from. So this has ever turned into anything? I wonder if they're paying royalties on uh, at this point for those samples. I know, right? That would be interesting to know. I don't think they are. Yeah. They should be. Oh, and for those wondering, bassist Paul DeLille is the whistler in the track All-Star. That's right. Bassist Paul DeLille also on whistling for that track. How about that can you give us a little all star <laughs> all star was released on may 4th 1999 just about one month before astro lounge dropped may the fourth be with you smash mouth oh my the sing the fourth was definitely with him my dude the single absolutely dominated the airwaves it peaked just two spots behind walking on the sun on the billboard hot 100 which, by the way, it, it, it wildly outsold Walking on the Sun. And if you're wondering how that could have happened, well, 1999 had a lot, of, a lot of singles, a lot of big singles, specifically May of 1999. Ricky Martin had Live in La Vida Loca, and uh, also out at the time was TLC's No Scrubs. Yeah, it's a lot of serious competition to be up against getting on that Billboard chart. It is, so it's just very interesting that, you know, all-star far outsold Walking on the Sun, but never reached as high as Walking on the Sun did on the Hot 100. Funny yeah. how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really Shit's shows funny, you what, man. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> just something to laugh about. Yeah. we. Lo- I love those things. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing. We're having fun today, folks. Yeah, but who cares? Who cares about chart success if the money is coming in regardless, right? Yeah. And boy, boy was it. All Star is seen as one of the most licensable songs of the 90s. Unquestionably. It's one of the most licensable songs ever, I think, unquestionably. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a type. It's a type of peak middle-of-the-road status. Yeah, I don't think too many people are still licensing the song out. I think it may have mostly cheesed itself out of existence, but I, get it. I don't know. I think we'll talk about it later, but just in case I forgot to add it, uh, Greg Camp still gets several calls a week from the publishing company 
asking for approval on licensing opportunities. All right. Yeah, how about Good for that? them. All right. And so, Smash Mouth lived it the fuck up. Hell yeah. They partied hard. Fuck yeah. And they toured hard. Shit yeah, bud. But as we referenced at the top, tragedy was about to occur. Oh, no. Yeah. On July 28th, 2001, Presley Harwell, Steve Harwell's son, died. Ah, fuck. Smash Mouth's forthcoming self-titled album was delayed, but it still came out just about three months later on November 27th, 2001. Because, once again, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid. Yeah, dude. And all that glitters is gold. (laughs) Only shooting stars break the mold. So, Sage Words by Greg Camp. Uh, I'd really like to zoom in on this period of time just for a moment. Harwell was already engaging in a party lifestyle. He was a rock star. And then his son died. And right after his son died, he had to keep being a rock star. The years start coming and they don't stop coming. (laughs) Which for Smash Mouth meant continuing to play shows to smaller and smaller crowds, release records that did worse and worse, and also continue to make an ungodly amount of money via the unending licensing out of All-Star. And something we'll go over later, Steve Harwell, big guy, but thin skin. He doesn't take jokes at his and his band's expense very well. He doesn't find humor in being a meme. He perhaps quite incorrectly takes himself and Smash Mouth very seriously and without a single shred of irony. But like, how though? Literally how? I don't know how. (laughs) Especially after all these years, and when you're raking in licensing money, it's people from using it in other people are using the song in other contexts. Of course, it's gonna like start to develop its own meaning and whatever. So, what the right. fuck is he being so precious about? Like he's getting paid so people could do whatever the fuck they want with the songs. Shut the fuck up. I know he's on top, man. He's on top. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, there's a sadness in Steve Harwell, you know. I think there really is, and I think it makes I think it makes memes hard to deal with. Well, anyway. Yeah. So, here I contend, right here, right when his son died, and he had to keep trudging on with his career, ostensibly failing, but still making mad money, but also becoming a meme, I contend this is when Steve Harwell's problems truly began. Unchecked emotional baggage, deeper alcoholism, a declining star, but money still coming in. This is what kind of paints the picture we've been seeing in the news so recently. Also had to be what kept the band going uh, when working on new music and probably spending tons of money on tours and studios. That little bit of potential and hope for coming close to that again, it's like... It's wild. Just like taking another hit, hoping to get just as high as you were before, right? Yeah, exactly. And you're like, okay, well, it's still paying for it. Now, Harwell didn't really write songs. It was mostly camp with some input from others like DeLil. Harwell has a few credits here and there, but even though he didn't really write the songs and he really didn't write these lyrics, just with how positive and goofy these songs are, just... Imagining Steve Harwell having to be the frontman for Smash Mouth and singing those songs after his son's death. I don't know. I can't imagine that was easy for him. Now, perhaps unsurprisingly, the self 
titled Follow-Up to Astro Lounge was a failure in pretty much every way. Where Astro Lounge went triple platinum in the States, the album Smash Mouth went gold. Their only real hit from that album is their cover of I'm a Believer, but that was also featured on the Shrek soundtrack and probably what most people know it from. Yeah, Shrek is such a huge film and such a huge meme. Yeah. The memes have to be pushing Shrek sales nowadays at least, and he's getting paid every single time. So I don't get still how he can't have a sense of humor about it. Like every meme probably gets he like... I actually can't. I cannot pretend to explain it. I just some people don't deal well with being in being the base of a joke. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Well, while Smash Mouth's new material was failing and failing hard, they were still top of mind for nearly everyone and making millions of dollars due to the indelible nature of All Star. So naturally. They were able to keep making music no matter how, how much worse each album would do. This is exactly that classic, do we quit while we're ahead moment. And they right. just couldn't accept it. It's so rough. Yeah. Well, on August 5th, 2003, Smash Mouth released their fourth major label album, once again via Interscope. The album is titled, Get the Picture. Get the Picture? Get the picture. It's a question. Get the picture. Get the picture. Get the picture. The album's big single was a. It was a song written by Neil Diamond. Wow. A song called "You Are My Number One." It was on the charts, the adult top forty chart, where it peaked at number twenty-five. I watched the video for this song, and it's just like that super standard cookie cutter video of a creepy dude, dude I actually didn't watch this video. Oh my god, is that what it really is? Yeah, he's just like following some girl around the beach and he's like, you are my number one. And ah! It's, it's bad. It's sounds terrible. <laughs> he's like kicking sand on all these other women following this one woman. It's really fun. It's, that is literally nothing anybody wants yeah. <laughs> to ever happen. Well, talking about something that nobody ever wants to happen, Smash Mouth then released a stop. That might have been the best segue ever in the history of the show. Smash Mouth then released a stopgap record, The Gift of Rock. That mm. <laughs> The Gift of Rock came out via Beautiful Bomb Records on December 1st, 2005. The Gift of Rock is a mostly covers album, and it's a, you guessed it, Christmas-themed album. And, uh, oh, by the way, Beautiful Bomb Records is Smash Mouth's label. So fun. Beautiful Bomb is such a horrible name. Yeah. <laughs> Look for absolutely anything. They really need to work on their naming mechanisms. They do not have this shit figured out. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they don't. The next actual Smash Mouth album came out on September 19th, 2006. That album is Summer Girl, and it has a fraught genesis. This dude really loves girls in bikinis. It's so clear. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I like anybody in bikinis. Bikinis are great. Summer Girl wasn't the album that was supposed to come out. That was an album called Old Habits, due in early 2006. Old Habits was alleged to have been a return to the band's ska punk roots. Alleged. Don't know. Can't find it. Can't hear it. We'll never know. It was delayed several times due to Steve Harwell being on the reality TV show, The Surreal Life. 
They wanted to coordinate the album's release with the show. I hadn't heard of that show before this. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, maybe I had, but I didn't really know what it was, and it's like exactly the kind of TV I'm into watching right now. Yeah, it is. I'm going to binge the shit out of that. Amazing. You have to tell me what you think about it. I'm watching all of it. I'll let you know. I've seen Surreal Life. I've not seen his season. I don't think I saw his season. Maybe I did. I don't know. I'm going to watch all of it. Well, <laughs> Jerry's a big, big brother fan. If you ever want to get folks at home, if you ever want to get him a Hanukkah gift, yeah, send me an HOH robe. <laughs> but when the band got to work on improving, quote, improving their album Old Habits, they ended up shelving it. In its place came Summer Girl. Oh, yeah, Summer Girl, huh, buddy? <laughs> the album, much like its predecessor, Get the Picture, has no certifications. But unlike Get the Picture, Summer Girl didn't even hit any charts. Two of its three singles did, though. Story of My Life reached number 29 on the adult top 40. And So Insane reached number 25 on that same chart. So Insane. Yep, how about that? Pretty insane. It's insane! Also of note, in 2006, Smash Mouth began to transition into full-on corporate rock. What do I mean by that? Well, they started prioritizing new types of shows to play. You know, like corporate events. Uh, I guess you do what you gotta do, Gotta do what you gotta, gotta, do, do, right? what you gotta, you gotta do. do what you gotta do. Sometimes you gotta play for fucking Quiznos. <laughs> Corporate. <laughs> Shay Quillen covered this for the East Bay Times in an article published December 21st, 2006. It's titled Smash Mouth Shifts from All Stars to Marketers. Oh. <laughs> Good job, Shay. Quillen writes, quote, the band members admit to varying degrees that they can no longer count on enthusiastic radio support. Quillen touches on the incredible licensing power of All Star and then shifts to the corporate events side of things with a Sadly, now unarguably prescient statement, quote, in 2004, far, Jesus, in 2004, Christ went full County Cork, Ireland there. Whoa, man. Gonna take that quote again. How about that? And quote, in 2004, Harwell's onstage banter got the band kicked off the stage at an event for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Yeah, because when you start taking fucking corporate gigs, your banter doesn't change at all. You know? Like, what? Yeah, it's like... that's insane. What, yeah. what an idiot. Like, he's doing an Enterprise thing. Like, fucking chill out, bro. Also, I wonder, like, if that was just her being polite. Like, was it really banter? Or, like, did he have a breakdown and start cursing somebody out full on, That's you know? a very good question. Like... Right. We don't know. I don't know. So, so uh, if you worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car Corporate at the time and was at that show, I would love to know more about the oh, banter. If you worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car in 2004, folks at home listening, and you were at that corporate event where Smash Mouth played, you have to contact us. If you know somebody who was at that event, you have to contact us. Oh, I should also point out that Quillen... Quillen notes, by the way, that these days Smash Mouth pulls in $75,000 to $100,000 for corporate events. Shit. Yeah, that's a lot of money. I should also. Uh, Even more. uh, That's 100,000 reasons. 
to, to fucking act, get your shit together on stage. Well, so piece of shit. Wondering why he was like that on stage. Who knows? But Quillen does note that Harwell was drinking non-alcoholic beverages during their time together, while his bandmates were indeed indulging. All just interesting things to note, knowing what we know now in 2021. Seems he tried for a bit. Who knows how long it lasted? I don't know. Now, something we glossed over here, even more so than Soul Asylum, Smash Mouth would go full spinal tap with their drummers. During the making of Making of Summer Girl, Michael Urbano, who had replaced Kevin Coleman, was replaced by Mitch Marine. And then Mitch Marine was replaced by Jason Sutter. Jason Sutter, by the way, played drums in American Hi-Fi. And FYI, folks at home, it will be, they will be the flavor of the week one of these days. You'll know when. Like, I, I mean, act, I, like you'll actually know when because, you know, we'll, we'll promote sh- the show and then these episodes have titles and you'll, 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 know, you'll, you'll know. You'll just know when it happens, you'll know, you know? We should do the Rick Astley episode and title it something completely different. Wow. Like a different song and band. I mean, there is, we are going to do, Rick Astley, you're never going to give me up, is going to absolutely be an episode one day because I unironically love that song. No, I mean, it's a fantastic song. It's a fantastic song, song yeah. I and mean, he's actually a cool guy. He is so actually a cool guy. He yeah. is actually a cool guy. I, he would get, he would get the joke. He would oh, get he, it. Well, there's a, just a quick aside on Rick Astley. I remember there's an interview of him talking about how he became the meme and like his and he he said like one day his daughter came to him and he was like you need to understand this is this no longer belongs to you this is like something complete this out of your control you have to accept it you gotta laugh at it and he was like yeah and so i did like his daughter was like 16 17 or something at the time so true. So what a smart person. There you go. A smart guy. He can handle it. I met his daughter, but like, yeah, he's, no, he's a smart person too. Also to just be receptive to that and be like, absolutely. Oh, okay, my daughter is right. Absolutely. I, no, absolutely. Steve Harwell's like throwing up Nazi salutes and shit. No oh, God. Piece of shit. Well, we're going to get there. But back to some drummer bullshit. Just a year later in 2007, Jason Sutter dipped out to go play drums for Chris Cornell. So, Guess what? Mitch Marine came back. <laughs> Making things crazier in 2008, lead songwriter and guitarist Greg Camp left Smash Mouth. He had gotten into a feud of sorts with Steve Harwell. Camp was withholding some songs for the next Smash Mouth album. <laughs> Imagine that. He wanted to have them for his solo debut, Defector. This led to some serious heat between Camp and Harwell. Two bands, one dude. <laughs> I'm not going to be checking out that video, actually. Camp tells Shay Quillen for the... Mer- Man, this Shay Quillen person gets around. This Shay Quillen person, like, writes articles. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't know who that is. Shay Quillen wrote for the East Bay Times and the Mercury News. How about that? Interesting. I don't think I've ever referenced a single journalist for two different publications twice in one episode. This is this is, you can tell it's very much like the two. This is like the 21st century when journalists like <laughs> are just writing for whoever will take them at any given time. Yeah, work from home, bro. <laughs> Not quite there yet. Oh, actually, they had the shoe with this. This this Shay Quillen was probably always working from home, but they were a freelance journalist. Anyway, Camp tells Shay Quillen for the Mercury News in a piece published August 13th, 2008. It was just one of those things where either me or one of the other people in the band had to leave. And if that person left, then the band wouldn't be together anymore. 
my friends were in that band, so I didn't want everyone to lose their jobs just because two of us didn't really get along. Oh, valiant. Hey, Greg Camp's got perspective, man. I don't agree with a lot of all of his takes, and his lyrics are kind of, but he's got perspective. So Camp left, and he was replaced by Leroy Miller. But Miller would be out by 2009, and <laughs> guess what? Camp would be back. Only to leave for a second time by 2011. Actually, he was replaced by Sean Hurwitz. Actually, how about that? It just keeps happening. Who was then replaced by Mike Crumpus. But, but <laughs> then later in 2012, Hurwitz returned to Smash Mouth. I'm not even kidding. This is insane at this point. Their drummers are a meme as well, if you couldn't tell. Mitch Marine was then replaced by Randy Cook in 2010, who was then replaced by Jason Sutter, who came back for some reason, but then was replaced by a fellow named Charlie Paxson in 2011. I think they had another drummer, too, that played, like, one show with them, and right after the show died in a freak, <laughs> freak gardening accident, like, immediately following the show. <laughs> yeah, there was another one who just spontaneously combusted. Yeah, they have yeah. a weird history with drummers. One quick note. Fans of the show will already be very familiar with this. But in 2008, a fire raged through Universal Studios. No this way. fire destroyed generations worth of priceless masters. I didn't this know that. fire is so severe. This is now at least the third time in just 13 episodes that we've addressed this fucking fire. And wouldn't you know it, Smash Mouth is one of those bands who lost masters due to that fire. How about that, folks? Sucks. But on a much lighter and wackier note, speaking of 2011, something huge would happen. Worlds would collide. A dream match was made. Steve Harwell got off the chain and took a trip to Flavortown. Flavortown! The most goateed town in America. Most goateed town! It's so true. The most goateed and spiked-haired town in America. Yeah, the other, the, the modern-day gel lobbyists. The modern-day gel lobbyists, exactly. Oh, man, where the bowling shirts are flowing free and airy. Yeah. In 2011, Smash Mouth had just gotten verified on Twitter. And as John Hendren reports for Vice on November 29th, 2012, he begot a thing which would ultimately escalate into a challenge to Steve Harwell to eat eggs. Like, like, a, like, a, like a lot, like a lot of eggs, like... Oh, like well over 40 eggs. That really can't be too good for you. No, I, I'm all, a, eggs are great. And anybody who's, people love weird things about eggs, but eating that as many eggs in one sitting as he had, as he did was, is not good for you. It's yeah. not a good experience. Everything in moderation, folks at home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, except listening to this show. How about that? So this led to the unthinkable. The band acknowledged it. Hendren writes for Vice. Yeah, I got an email from a promoter at a local venue, a fantastic man named Nathan, who had confronted the band about the egg thing and found out that, yeah, they knew all about it and were trying to ignore it until it went away. He did the best possible thing and not only convinced them that it's a good idea, but that he'd set up a Causes.com page to track and legitimize donations to a real charity. The band responded with a challenge. Raise $10,000, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, and we'd be off to the races. In a matter of days, we did exactly that. With the money raised, the actual leg thing went down a couple of months later. In fact, it was the opening ceremony for Guy Fieri's Johnny Garlic's restaurant in Dublin, 
California. So, that happened. And for once, proves that Guy Fieri and Steve Harwell are indeed two different people and they're <laughs> friends, which seems right. And they fucking love eating eggs together? Well, Guy Fieri doesn't love eating eggs. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Oh, boy. Before we get there, though, all in all, around $15,000 is raised for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. How about that? But now, about Jerry's inquisition, inquiry, about your inquiry as to whether they ate eggs together. Here's an interesting wrinkle to add to things, folks. Guy Fieri hates eggs. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. This is real. It's not because he's like vegetarian or vegan or anything. You sure should know that. Folks, I swear, look this up. Guy Fieri hates eggs. He had one experience where he had a poorly cooked hard-boiled egg, and he found the yolk to be too chalky, and he forever swore off eggs of any and all preparations. That's exactly what you do when you're nine years old. Like, what? <laughs> so, That's a bit of bad egg. <laughs> but even still, it's like, bro. The funny thing but is he had... That ex- was the bad egg. The funny thing is he claims he had an experience before that where he cracked open an egg and saw like a partially formed chicken on the inside, which... I, I don't know. I mean, that could happen, but folks, in case you don't know this, the eggs that we buy in supermarkets are much like the bananas we eat, much like the watermelons, seedless watermelons anyway, much like a lot of things we eat. We've we've changed those things. We've genetically engineered those things. Eggs you buy in the supermarket are... They're not, they're, they're blanks. They're not, they're never going to grow up to be chickens. I, maybe it was on a farm. I don't know. But that's the funny thing is it's not that experience. He makes a point of saying it. It's not the experience when he found a partially formed chicken and an egg that freaked him out and turned him off from eggs for the rest of his life. It's eating a yolk that was too chalky. Guy Fieri hates eggs. So, listen, I want you, the folks at home, I want you, the folks at home, to get... Good and stoned. What if you, 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 one of those, like, yeah, but I'm a whiskey guy, a girl, or, or NB angel. I want you to pour yourself a cup of whiskey or whatever the fuck it is you get off to it. I want you to, I want you to think about this, folks. I want you to think about the implications of serving a food which you despise to someone else. It almost kind of seems like a hate fuck, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know, I'm not reading into this too heavily. I just think it's just a wonderful confluence of things. He likes fucking with people. I get that. Guy Fieri? Like fucking with people, yeah. yeah. I guess he's, yeah. He just likes talking with people. He's having a good time. He's having a laugh. He's, he's laughing. He's having a good time. Well, on September 4th, 2012, Smash Mouth released their seventh studio album. Depending on how you count, some people don't count their Christmas album. Some people count the East Space Sessions, which is in the... It doesn't matter. We're not... I'm not... Not like we're going to talk about Smash Mouth's career or anything. This seventh album is magic. <laughs> it was released via a true indie. 429 Records started as a subsidiary of two privately owned companies and was eventually acquired by a privately owned company, Concord Music Group, which folded in 2015. Magic was, well, uh, you know, it could have not been released. It has no certifications and it did not chart. Same for its... One single, Magic. Guy Fieri definitely owns a copy, though. 
I bet he does actually because they're friends. The next yeah. noteworthy milestone on the band's journey was a further obfuscation of all things Steve Harwell and Guy Fieri. You see, Smash Mouth released a fucking cookbook. It's called Recipes from the Road. And folks, <laughs> so sad this is an audio show. Folks, you have to Google it right now. You, ha- you, you have to Google it and look at it. It just looks like Guy Fieri's shirt. That's what the whole, yes, that's what the cover looks like. It that's just, what the yes. cover looks like. And it has like smears of the last thing Guy Fieri ate on it. <laughs> the book was released January, January 10th, 2013. And here's the description of the book. Smash Mouth invades the culinary world with a rock and roll cookbook. Recipes from the Road is a unique fusion of delicious recipes, hilarious real life road stories straight from the mouth, candid road photos, and guest recipes from pop icons such as Guy Fieri, Sammy Hagar, Jerome Bettis, and Michael Simon, all displayed in a beautiful, eye-popping layout. Original. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I, lo- I love that there are guest recipes on this. Like, what, what the fuck? Like, hey, Guy, you want to do a feature? On my cookbook? Anyway, either... Kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Yo, you want to drop a verse on my cookbook? Eater.com reviews it by saying, quote, The book amounts to a pretty decent tailgating cookbook with dozens of landmark restaurants, New York's New York's Carnegie Deli, 5-8 Club in Minneapolis, Fiorella's in Kansas City, Ben's Chili Bowl in D.C., and more. Submitting their recipes for hamburgers, sandwiches, pizzas, dips, and more. Great writing, phenomenal writing. So, like, hold on, like this, like this, this, the Smash Mouth didn't even do any work. I guess they, they told road stories or whatever. None of the recipes are theirs. Like, cool. I guess whatever. I don't know. Moving on. I mean, would anyone really want their Smash Mouth recipes? Like, I feel like this is almost a better concept for a okay. book. You okay. can't write a good song. Okay. Do you think they could develop a recipe? Okay, fair. Okay, all right. Uh, they know people that like things. And they're like, oh, you like something? I c- that's good. I think that's good. We should tell people I know you. I, I like that. That's good. That's good. They had a, they, 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 they had, that's. It's kind of what they did with All Star. They went around, they oh took all the best God. stuff, and they're like, here we go. It's a fucking book, you idiots. Wow. Look at that. Excellent analysis. Bad band, great song. Folks, like and subscribe, or you know, whatever you do with podcasts. Give us a review on Apple. Just for that alone. Holy shit, that was good. Give us all the money. Jeremy, that was that was that was uh, that was expert is. insight. The band would follow that up in prestigious fashion. On February 1st, 2013, Smash Mouth headlined the AutoNation Coast to Coast rebranding event. This AutoNation rebranding event combined all AutoNation dealerships into a single brand. Yes. You think they all got cars? I hope so. That'd be sick. I hope so. By the way, we're still trying to figure out how many Wheaties boxes you get if you, you know, you do a commercial. Oh, yeah. Still trying to get Grinder to sponsor us. Folks, if you know somebody at Grinder, have them talk to us. Or Wheaties. We'll, we'll take both. I think we'll do both. We'll do both. We'll do both Grinder and Wheaties. I think we'd like to be the first to do both, too, actually. We should just set up a Patreon. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to do that. 
Let's do that. Search if you're listening to this, search for us on Patreon. Maybe we're there. Maybe we're not. <laughs> but here's the plug for hopefully we are. How about that, folks? 2013 would also be of note for some more uh, mm, oh, serious and severe reasons. This is when vocalist Steve Harwell was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy, heart failure, and Wernicke encephalopathy. That's a lot to unpack. Heart failure, in simplest terms, means your heart doesn't pump enough blood for your body to function properly. Cardiomyopathy. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. Cardiomyopathy? I'll say myopathy. Anyway, is a group of heart diseases. Alcoholism is an identified case, cause for at least one of those diseases. Uh, it's dilated cardiomyopathy. Yeah, that's rough as fuck. It is. Wernicke encephalopathy. Say it again. Wernicke encephalopathy. Thank you. This is the dragon who eats his own tail. What? Under or Boris, you don't know that? the dragon that eats his own tail. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's got that which nourishes me, destroys me. Okay. All right. Yeah, all right. Anyway, I can see you furrowing your brow. Just go with me on this. No, I get. It, I get it. Underlying mental and physical issues, underlying addiction issues, rampant alcoholism—that all can manifest as problematic statements, behaviors, and actions. But rampant alcoholism can also cause Wernicke encephalopathy, which on its own can lead to some severe issues that would make anybody behave in unflattering ways. Wernicke encephalopathy can cause memory impairment, amnesia, depression, and psychosis. It can also cause vision and hearing loss. Now, compound all that, by continuing to drink and being an alcoholic. Yeah, it's super sad. Right. Well, so the first major milestone of pain for Steve Harwell was losing his son to cancer in 2001. At least that we know of. Who knows what came before that in his life? That then led unquestionably to this moment in 2013 when Harwell's physical and mental illnesses could no longer be denied. This would all culminate, for the time being anyway, with where we are now in 2021, the reason we're doing this episode now, but before that, back to 2014. Where our story begins. <laughs> and this is where our story begins. Smash Mouth was on their Eternal Decline tour. I made that up. Thank you. Uh, that's a good name. Yeah, yeah, right? See, you're, nice. you're better at naming things. <laughs> they are. <laughs> and they ended up at the Taste of Fort Collins event on June 14th, 2015. This event set a precedent for Harwell melting down at very chuggy events made for one o'clock normies. Taste of Fort Collins, a.k.a. Taste of Foco, is in their own words, quote, a family-friendly celebration perfect for northern Coloradans active lifestyle. Mm, awful. Fort Collins is kind of fun. I'm, I, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's lovely. I mean, I guess I had one fun night there. And I was there for only one night. So I guess it's a 100% fun night there. Five-star review. Five-star five review. Yeah, five-star review. One review. How about that? Ah, taste of Fort Collins. The audience began throwing bread into the air. And as USA Today reports, Harwell lost his temper as a few pieces landed on the stage. Way better than tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. For about three minutes, Harwell argued with the audience. Fucked audiences. <laughs> no, <I> was, <laughs> was kind of that. More than that, he threatened to find whoever was throwing bread and beat their asses. Harwell told Ooh. the crowd, quote, you throw one more piece of shit on the fucking stage, I'm going to come find your ass. I'm going to beat your ass, whoever the fuck you are out there, okay? Okay. 
you know, Steve Harwell, um, buddy, I think you could be a little more feminine. Tone that macho bullshit down a bit, man. <laughs> now, I was, oh man, I promised we wouldn't dunk on Steve. But I did also say, I'm going to call out some straight up fucked up and awful behavior. I'd say, I'd say, let's play a clip of it now, but it's actually not very entertaining to just listen to. You can find the YouTube of this if you want, folks. Well, the best part is, while he's harassing the crowd, the band just starts playing the opening to All-Star. Harwell goes into the audience to try and actually beat someone's ass and eventually returns back to the stage, and he just stands there as the band plays All-Star while the crowd sings, and then he... Storms off stage. They took his gerb. <laughs> Harwell did later apologize for the event, but this was just a mere glimpse into the troubled Harwell's mind. Now, by this point, Smash Mouth's lineup has gone through some crazy changes for their drummer and their guitarist. We haven't gone over it as granularly as we could because... Frankly, we don't care, and these names are mostly meaningless. But here are some fun ones. Drummer Kevin Coleman, the one whom Harwell shamelessly says sucked, rejoined the band, only to leave again in about a year. But guess what? Greg fucking Camp, the writer of Walking on the Sun and All-Star, actually returned to Smash Mouth in 2018. Which is just insane at this point, because <laughs> yeah. he has been getting paid for the royalties. He hasn't been in the band and. For years and years and years. Since 2011 or something. About, 2012 yeah. perhaps at this point. And then why join back into a product who he's watched fucking fail for 20 years? It's like, oh, okay. Now Very I'm going to join the band. I'm going to go back to this thing that clearly is a sinking ship. It's a very strange. Well, we'll see the good times don't last. But before we get there, regarding 2018, Smash Mouth played their first show in Australia since 2013. No, do We're not going to because there's no more point. There's no more opportunity for me at any point. The band took the stage. I mean, I guess I could have. Isle Beach Festival of Music in Queensland. Just one problem. Your accent. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was good, Jeremy. That was very good. <laughs> let, me shake, let me shake your hand on that. That was very good. Paul Hollywood handshake. Yeah. Harwell could only make mom. This isn't. This isn't funny. I just stop laughing as best I say this. The problem with the show. Harwell could only make it through two songs before having to get off stage. Ha! His health complications. Oh right, not funny. <laughs> His health complications were increasingly making themselves known. Harwell was able to recover, luckily, and continue the rest of the band's Ulzi tour. <laughs> but the good times, they don't last. Greg Camp left the band once again in 2019, yeah. this fickle bitch, once again being replaced by Sean Hurwitz. Seriously, what the fuck, Greg? What were you thinking? I don't, I don't understand any of this. So by 2019, vocalist Steve Harwell and bassist Paul DeLull were the only two original members of Smash Mouth left. And speaking of 2019, in this year, Harwell would actually appear on an episode of Fietti's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. The internet did, in fact, rejoice. Yeah, CGI has gotten a lot better <laughs> nowadays, so they can put them in the same uh, room. Yes, yes, yes. But by 2020, Steve Harwell's illnesses and problematic behavior would spiral even more... Smash Mouth played the illustrious Sturgis Bike Rally in 2020. You know, 
the one that everyone thinks is a super spreader event, but actually wasn't. Not apologizing for it. Not apologizing for it. It shouldn't have happened. But just, you know, clearing up inaccuracies. Uh, yes, and sharing the bill with one of our, my favorite episodes and a band we've previously talked about, Fozzy. Yes. Check that shit out. <laughs> That's to say, listen, folks, if you don't, Fozzy's one of those bands, you may not know them. But if you haven't checked that episode out yet, give it a spin. You'll be surprised. Oh, man. At this vile event, Steve Harwell took to the mic and said, well, now we're all here together and we're all being human once again. Fuck that COVID shit. I mean, I agree. Partially, like, yeah, fucking fuck COVID, right? But, like, not in the way he meant it. And and, and just to say that at that event, oh, 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 boy. Smash Mouth would be mostly pretty quiet after that. But then, of course, you know, the reason we're all here at this time. Steve Harwell's most inexcusable and most public meltdown yet. The Big Sip Beer and Wine Festival in Bethel, New York. Taste of Foco ain't shit. Here we go. Yeah, New York goes hard. Fuck you, Foco. (laughs) In the now viral clip, Steve Harwell is on stage with the band that is still somehow called Smash Mouth. At this point, folks, Smash Mouth is definitely, as we said earlier, more of a brand than a band. Steve Harwell and Paul DeLille are the only original members left. Well, yeah, you've probably seen the clip. In it, Steve Harwell can be seen giving a Nazi salute, and let's be real, it's, it's not simply that it appears to be a fucking Sieg Heil. Dude, dude straight up went, like, full Phil Anselmo here and threw up, very intentionally, a fucking Nazi salute. He, he gave us a perfect form and stiff arm Sieg Heil. If Paul DeLille didn't see that coming at this point, I'm, like, just surprised. This whole thing is just such a trade wreck. <sighs> like, how is there no hint that this guy, like, might throw up a fucking zig hail? Like, it's fucking horrible. I mean, I would hope, actually, that there's been no hint of that before. I would hope this was an out-of-nowhere, out-of-the-blue experience, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this, I'm the, I'm the, and the Nazi salute part. I mean, clearly the alcoholism and the disassociation in general is not. Well, anyway, speak of disassociation, folks. Steve Harwell ends up telling the audience during this whole episode, he says, I'll fucking, I'll fucking kill your whole family, I swear to God. He also appears to be quite, as I said, he appears to be quite fucking disassociated. I wonder if he's yelling at one specific person it's not that clip is so horrifying and i have no idea how anyone could just be in a band with that guy at this point yeah i don't know i i do want to say i don't think steve harwell is a nazi i don't think he's truly a hateful dude i think he said some very dumb things and this is absolutely awful but i don't i don't i don't think this is the case of a case of like in vino veritas right you know i think this is more of a case of a human being's entire personality and thought process has, has just been usurped and perverted by illnesses of many kinds. And in this video, Steve Harwell is in his mind and body on another fucking planet. He is not on this earth with us in this video. He only appears to be. Yeah, he's like chilling in the astral lounge. Fucking <laughs> way up out of our fucking atmosphere. <laughs> Yeah, he's, that's where he is. And okay, I would like to say to OP who broke the video, this is pretty bad, but this is far from, quote, the most chaotic show. It may be the most chaotic show you've ever been to. 
and that's fine. But then you, I don't know, you don't go to many shows then. I don't know. As a born and raised New York City boy, I feel confident in, in shit talking my fellow New Yorkers. And correct me if I'm wrong. Please, folks, correct me if I'm wrong. Send us mail. Let me know. But I doubt Bethel, New York has a vibrant, extreme music scene. Believe me, this is by no means... Folks at home, if you haven't seen this clip yet, this is not a chaotic show. What it is, is a very public and, and vile meltdown of a former celebrity. Yeah, she definitely has a very different definition of the word. Yeah, it's, yeah. this is not a chaotic show. No, no, no. She wouldn't make it past the door at C-Squat. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most chaotic yeah, you know. Anyway, prior to this, the band had already begun quietly playing shows with a new singer, actually. Oh, shit. Yeah, kind of wild, sneaky, right? Sneaky, sneaky. As Harwell kind of attended to his issues, which he clearly can no longer tamp down and conceal, they had the singer, right? We don't know who he is, actually. Uh, it is this very public episode, this public episode of the Beer and, and Wine, the Big Sip Beer and Wine Festival that actually has led to Harwell actually retiring from Smash Mouth, however. So now, in 2021, there is just one original member of Smash Mouth. Bassist Paul DeLille. At least he has some writing credits, right? Yeah, something. That's nice. Now, that would be a dark note to end on, so let's lighten things up a bit and talk about the memes. Let's get this out of the way. Steve Harwell doesn't like any of them. As he tells Stereo Gum, you know, I try not to pay attention to any to social media very much. I try not to personally read and look at all that shit. But yeah, I think it's cool that uh, All Stars made such a resurgence. We do have a team of people that are working that stuff regularly, you know, helping work our social media. And all of us are personally involved in things we tweet out and post. But in terms of the memes and the blogs, yeah, I don't look at that stuff much. When asked which he particularly disliked, Harwell said, you know, that big guy. I can't remember his name. I don't like, I don't like his. Har yeah. Harwell is referring to the god John Sedano and his covers of other songs that seem to quite readily bend, bend to the will of Smash Mouth's greatest hit, All Star. Yeah, I did hours of research about this guy for writing this episode. <laughs> and by that, I mean I watched like all over probably 50 videos of different songs with all the, the, with the all-star lyrics. This guy's a genius. He is brilliant. So let's listen to Sudano's revelatory oh, yeah. and groundbreaking cover of John Lennon's Imagine. This is the clip that started it all for Sudano. You're in for a treat. Told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kinda dumb with her finger in her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Fed to the rules and I hit the ground running Did it make sense to, to live for fun? Your brain gets smart but your head gets dumb So much to do, so much to see So what's wrong with taking the back streets? You'll never know if you don't go 
You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. And all that glitters is gold. Only shooting stars. So in case you didn't get it, Sedano does this seemingly ad infinitum, though his YouTube channel has moved on. But folks, please go watch his work. Listening to John Sedano without watching his videos is kind of like throbbing gristle. It's like listening to throbbing gristle without being there to live to see the intense and engaging visuals. It's just not quite the same. Yeah, it's seriously peak YouTube cinematography. It, it really is. It really fucking is. Well, shit. I guess that, uh... No, that was a fun note to end on. Ah, fuck it. Yeah, go watch some John Sudano. It's so fucking worth it. Yeah, and that, that is where Smash Mouth story ends, folks. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the critical reaction, commercial impact, chart success, and fan response. Okay. Critical reaction. So... Critics didn't hate this. You have to remember, this was 1999. Mainstream culture was cool, just like it is now. There was no alternative culture and hipster mindset infiltrating mainstream media outlets. Also, critics suck. That too. Reviews for this album called it for what it was, a nice, easily tolerable, melodic, and enjoyable album. This has to be kind of unquestionably Smash Mouth's best album, actually. And I've yet to see any critic actually say anything bad about All Star. That is just so questionable that right. you can't find a bad review. It's very strange. It so is. strange. Commercial impact. All-Star is triple platinum in the U.S. and Astro Lounge is also triple platinum. Those are huge numbers. Big. Beyond that, we can really only speculate how much money it must make just for those involved every single year. I, don't know, I can't even begin to fathom that, to be perfectly honest. So, chart success. All-Star is one of those songs... It dominated white people countries the world over. Yes, YTs from super white countries like UK, Sweden, Scotland, Netherlands, Iceland, Germany, Belgium, Australia, New Zealand, and of course, Canada, and of course, the US, all loved All Star. All Star peaked at number one on the mainstream top 40, Charge. number one on the adult top 40, Charge. number two on alternative airplay. <laughs> number four on the Billboard Hot 100. Number five on the adult adult alternative songs. You can stop now. It's all right. <laughs> all Star also made a lot of year-end charts. I think more than any other song we've covered thus far. Like, for 1999 year-end charts, it peaked at number two on the mainstream top 40. Charts. Number eight on the adult top 40. Number nine on alternative songs. Number 17 on the Billboard Hot 100. And thanks to streaming, it still hits the rock streaming year-end charts. In 2017, it was fucking number 29. In 2018, it was number 16. In 2019, it peaked at number six. But in 2020, it slid down to number 40 on the annual year-end rock streaming chart. I have a feeling that for 2021, and maybe even 2022, it may climb back up on those charts there. We'll see. Hey, now. Oh, yeah. And it also has the number 88 spot on a bizarre and absolutely bullshit billboard chart called the greatest of all time pop songs chart. But here's the kicker. This greatest of all time chart spans the years 1992 to 2017. You know, 
all time, right? That's all t- all of time. All of time. This is a different chart, by the way, than the Hot 100's all-time top 100 songs. Billboard. 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 Billboard, you have too many charts. This is all very meaningless. It's super stupid. Billboard, you suck. Yeah, it's also like, who even cares at this point? Who's checking it? Besides some, it's just some label suits. And it really just sounds like you could go on billboard.com and make your own chart. I mean, I was... <laughs> like, this is some BuzzFeedy-ass shit. That's hilarious. Shit. I mean, like, I the was... greatest of all time pop charts, and it's just like a selection of years. Like, you're literally BuzzFeed. It's insane, I know. Well, fan response. Which ones? <laughs> oh, the Shrek fans. Beer and wine festivals. Memes. Shrek fans. That's it. I don't know. This song is going to live forever. People love it. They hate it. They love to hate it. And they also hate to love it. Well, time to it's time to bring this horse home. Let's get into segment three. Talk about what makes this band bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Well, this could be too easy. I mean, this was easy, but we're not taking an easy out here. No, 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 no. Because telling you why Smash Mouth is bad is kind of like you challenging your seven-year-old niece or nephew or, or children or whatever you have to a round of GoldenEye 64. Like, like I know you can Fortnite, but have you ever navigated a low-poly 3D <laughs> space with just one analog stick? No. <laughs> No, you have not. This seven-year-old relative I thankfully don't have. <laughs> yeah, fuck that non-existent relative. Fuck that non-existent relative. So, as we do, we've looked for at least three key things to base an argument around. So here it goes. One, Smash Mouth, particularly Steve Harwell, is humorless, unintentionally comedic. Two, the band has no North Star. There is no essential Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth is a blank canvas by design. Walking on the sun and all stars is the closest we get to a, pl- a platonic ideal of Smash Mouth. And three, Smash Mouth stays surface level other than aggressive, dare I say, toxic positivity in the face of anything else. Smash Mouth has no real message for you. There is no real authentic experience being delivered in these songs. It'll be a little bit on fuss you, man, fuck you, man. Even if Greg Camp writes things from his actual experience, he is... Not really a great writer of words. He's not a great thinker. He is a reasonable man, but he's not a great thinker. So, first point, Smash Mouth, especially Harwell, is humorless. And even worse than humorless, he's like mad at people who do have a sense of humor. (laughs) It's like the, it's anti-humor. That's so true. Now, I'd like to remove Greg Camp from this. He has a great perspective on all of this, but his songs... Oh, man, there's no great awareness in Camp's lyrics. If your response to the protesting and eventual riots in the wake of the Rodney King beating is something like, man, why can't we just all get along? And then after that, you wrote Walking on the Sun as some sort of at least partial response and call for peace. I almost can't even organize my thoughts. Like, I, <laughs> the fact that he thought that, that, was, that was a valid and serious... <sighs> The band is humorless. (laughs) The band is humorless. The band is unaware. If Walking on the Sun is actually a response in any way, shape, or form to police brutality and the social unrest it causes, I mean, that's more misguided than making a thoughts and prayers post and actually thinking you've done something. So, intent matters. Context matters. Greg Camp is not Johnny Waters. He's not Nick Zed. He's not John Mortsugu. He's definitely not Greg Araki. Now, those are all filmmakers, not musicians. But there are filmmakers 
who have made movies that fall somewhere on the spectrum of, quote, trash. In fact, they, some of them use that term. It comes up trash cinema, trash filmmakers, schlock, camp. But it's all intentional. More like Greg Schlock, huh? <laughs> well, Greg Camp, though he has perspective on All-Star, very sincerely and without irony, writes the tepid, surface-level, toxically positive and insipid, and insipid songs that he writes. But Steve Harwell, he's on another level, man. Read any interview with him, and he instantly comes off as incredibly defensive. And that energy, unfortunately, comes out in their music. Their last album is a song called Justin Bieber. And it's actually a hate-filled, fuck-the-youth-boomer-style Facebook post as a song. Yeah, the ultimate yelling at kids to get off your dude. Thing. <laughs> like, fucking relax, dude. It's insane. So here are the key verses and the chorus, folks, just so you get yeah, an idea. Yeah, let's get it. Because I'm not going to play this for you, just so you can get a taste. And it's salty. Whatever happened to Justin Bieber... Was he all that or was he left behind? Did Keith stay with Nikki or did he leave her? Just a little something that's been on my mind. Whatever happened to high, to high top sneakers? Do you have yours just like I still have mine? Or did they go out of style, baby, just like streakers? What? Was it all for real or were we caught in time? Did we have enough of all the Facebook tweeters? Did we really have to hear about it all the time? Whatever happened to the diehard gleekers? They covered everything except a song of mine. Oh, oh. This is the chorus, folks. Oh, oh. <laughs> Where did everybody go? In another 10 years or so, when it's after the show, would you buy another ticket or just let me go? Whoa, oh, 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 whoa, oh, 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 oh. Smash Mouth, taking shots at Justin Bieber. How about that? And Glee, taking shots at fucking Glee. This guy's so mad. It's insane. Next point. I think like that, right? Do you get it? They're humorless. You, I don't need to. Okay, next point. No North Star. No, no, no North Star. No, no. No North Star. This is something we've touched on a few times, folks. A few episodes now. This is a band with no actual core, no essence. Fuck You Man was at least a ska punk, pop punk record. I'm not a fan, but it felt real. Steve Harwell, who just doesn't get it, however, told Rolling Stone, quote, We were kids when we made Fush... I'll say it like him because this is his quote. We were kids when we made Fush You Man. We didn't know who we were. Listen to that record over and over. It just sounds like four or five different genres or bands. It doesn't have a constant melody or tone to it. It sounds like somebody no. didn't know what they were doing and were confused. <laughs> that is such a stupid quote. I don't even know where to begin. First off, he's wrong. It's... Each subsequent Smash Mouth record that sounds like it's an album written by committee. Yeah, by everything on that record except for Walking on the Sun sounds, sounds exactly the yeah, same. Exactly, yeah. Literally no. sounds all exactly the same, but there's one standout track. Like, what is he talking about? Yeah, fu fuck you, man. Fush you, man. Sounds like a ska pump pop punk record. Yeah, again, it has different types of songs on it. You want variety anyway, but... but right, but... It's you want that variety to come through a stylistic filter that sets your work apart, and it's it, that what happens on that record, but also <laughs> a constant melody or tone. Like what? I'm pretty sure I know what he thinks he means, 
But damn, imagine a Smash Mouth record with a fucking constant melody or simply just a, a tone running through its entirety. It's just like on some drone shit. I love that drone shit. Pretty, I know you do, buddy. No, so Smash Mouth has no guiding principles other than just chasing the sound or walking on the sun in All-Star. And to be clear, walking on the sun was and is an anomaly for the band. All-Star is a once-in-a-lifetime hit for the band, so it's also an anomaly. Both of those songs... As well as a few covers, like I'm a Believer, they're what we think of when we think of Smash Mouth sound. Yeah. But so the reality is that they were never that bad, and they don't really sound like that then. No, totally. That's... Right? Yeah, no. They just chased the money. They never <laughs> sounded like that. Last point, while they're bad. Smash Mouth is surface level. After Fuck You, Man, each subsequent record gets less and less specific when it comes to the experiences and messages each song carries. Their so far final single is supposed to be some rumination on passing time, the passing of time and what it means to no longer be in vogue. Those are interesting concepts, sure. I mean, hey, well, I'll be real with you folks. My phone doesn't ring as much as it used to. You know, I don't go out like I used to. I think, I think I'm pretty cool, but I'm also 34. I'm not, I'm not young, and I, and I won't be as young as I am now much longer. You're already older than when you just said that. Yeah, right? Isn't that fucking crazy? Yeah. How about that? Well, the point is, I'm primed for material that contemplates what it means to fall out of fashion, in so many words. And <laughs> if that's your subject matter, growing old, falling out of fashion, time passing you by, and what you have to offer up is, oh, oh, where did everybody go? In another 10 years or so, when it's after the show, would you buy another ticket or just let me go? Whoa, oh, oh, oh. If that's what you shit, if that's what you have to tell me about what it means to grow old and go out of style and grapple with that, yeah, fuck off. I don't know. I'm going to go eat mushrooms and talk to myself. Like, I'm going to cover more ground and learn more lessons that way. This is not a band to lean your life on. This is not a band that is here to hold you. Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth is a bad band, folks. All right. Let's talk about what makes this song great. Let's do it. So from a technical perspective, oh, man. We're going to do something a little different here. You know, I, I've been writing songs and playing guitar for a while. I don't know. I'm experienced enough. I can break a song down and discuss it. I'm not Adam Neely. I'm not Rick Beato, but I can talk about music. But for today's technical analysis, we're not going to do anything like that. We're not going to talk about its structure, a hook, a melody, or even a breakdown or a bridge. What are we going to do, Andrew? <laughs> we're going to talk about this song's mission and how it achieved that. Uh, which it did. Greg Camp had to write a hit. Their label wouldn't accept any less. Yeah, he got out the old pop song calculator and started piecing it all together. Pretty much. So if you recall, Camp sat down and poured over the Billboard charts, Hot 100 and Rock, and there wasn't anything casual about it. He took note of BPM, keys that the song's written in. He paid attention to the structure of the songs, how long was the intro, how many lines are in the verse before the pre-chorus that sets up the chorus, how long are each of those, and he noticed that among the hits... There was very little variation in terms of the dry and hard and fast rules like tempos, keys that songs were written in, number of lines in a section, and structures of songs. And that's not an accident. It's like fucking building a house. Kind of is, right? John Sedano's gimmick works, folks. 
because All Star is able to fit so well into those perfectly formatted pop songs that all allow for the same basic layout to unfold. Yeah, and John Sedano really displays that perfectly. It's like you're able to just see exactly how it fits everywhere. Really does. And by the way, really quick, folks, we know there's other memes that we didn't talk about, but John Sedano is just huge god, huge god. You need to check it out. Anyway, Darren King reports for The Ringer in a piece published on May 3rd, 2019, titled The Never-Ending Life of Smash Mouth's All-Star. One track in particular stood out. Bare Naked Ladies, One Week, with its hyper-verbose verses and abrupt mood shifts, and the fact that the vocals kicked in before the music did. The other group brazen, brazenly vocalizing right at the top of songs that year was in sync. Smash Mouth would tour with them in 2002. Whoa. Uh, and in that, in that very article as well, uh, not just revealing part of the writing process, as I said earlier, here we are touching on it, Camp said, as recently as 2019, he still gets multiple licensing requests a week via his publishing company, and he approves most of them. I wonder how cheap it's gotten now. <laughs> Who knows? But the song is literally, technically great. I'd love to note, by the way, that also Camp has a much better attitude on Smash Mouth and All-Star than Harwell does. Clearly. Here's what he had to tell Darren King for The Ringer. Well, I, I don't think it's the coolest thing in the world to like Smash Mouth or that song. <laughs> You're not going to be scoring any points by liking it. It's just like, hey, here's something from our childhood. You know, it's like, if I were to, like, walk around and sing the theme to, like, the Partridge family or the Smurfs or something like that, it's not because I genuinely love this stuff. It's, it's just good, and it's fun, and it's something from my memories. How about that, huh? Cute. Hmm. Guess it pays to be a little feminine, huh? Ah, it does. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about it from a personal perspective. So I hated this song as a kid, and I still do. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I, just, I don't. I, I don't really get people who haven't always been themselves. You know, like I. Oh, I don't know. Being a Disney stan as a kid and then getting over it later. Not that like any of them do. It's just a hypothetical. I, I just don't get that. Like I don't. I didn't fuck with Shrek when I saw it as a kid. I don't fuck with Shrek now. I didn't fuck with this song. I don't know. I don't know. I've always liked the same sorts of sounds. I've always liked pro wrestling. I've always been having crushes on boys and girls. You know, um, I, I to say I'd be folks too, but I, I didn't. I didn't know about that when I was five years old. You know, but the point point is, I've evolved, right? But I'm also pretty lucky in that I think I can say I've always been me. Yeah, and as a guy who's known you for a really, really long time, I could say that's totally true. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Jerry. Yeah. So, point is, I've always fucking hated this song. <laughs> and I always will. I hate this. Oh, man, I hate this song. I don't like this song. I, I, I despise this song. I really fucking hate this song. Like, I'm not even going to go on some, like, quote, well-written rant and, like, pop off with some pretentious hate fuck poetry. I just hate this song. I really fucking hate this song so much. I got stoned and like put the song on and like the nice headphones and listened to it. And I, just, I texted you. I was like, wanted to bang my head into the wall. Like I started yeah, feeling yeah. insane. Oh man. I'm actually getting like sweaty right now, but I respect this song. I respect you song for all the reasons that you've already heard folks. 
the technical analysis is why I respect this song. I'm not going to rehash it. I mean, fuck. We didn't talk about this, but the song was already a fucking corporate synergy tie-in jerk-off fest right when it was released. Uh, You touched on Mystery Men a little bit, but you know... The video for the song clearly begins with the cast of Ben Stiller's Mystery Men, all in full gimmick. Man, this shit just makes money, you know? Like, fuck. Yeah, and it's really some of the worst and best editing I've ever seen in a single music video. Like, oh, it's so bad, but also incredible how they took things from, I don't know, they took scenes from the movie and weaved it into the story, but also it's like, it's so weird. It's good. Well, beyond respecting the song, I do. I feel bad for the band. I do because I know, I know that they absolutely wanted to be and thought of themselves as a real rock band. All Star made sure they were paid that way, but it also made sure that they would never be viewed that way. Yeah, you know, Greg Camp is a phenomenal example of taking shit in stride. Steve Harwell is not an example. No, of that. he is not. This band is bizarrely about extremes. It's another another thing that, that I feel. And we spent this whole time seeing them as kind of peak middle of the road when, again, really, they're kind of about extremes. It's weird. Smash Mouth is a ska punk band that became one of the biggest and most licensed out rock bands ever just because of one song. And speaking of extremes, I 100% believe, personally, this is a terrible song. It's, it's not just that I don't enjoy it. I believe this is a bad song. From technical standpoints, it's a masterclass in many ways. But from an artistic standpoint, it's, it's dog rule. It's bad. I believe the song is bad. But I also accept it's great. And frankly, <laughs> I know it doesn't make for a good hot take, you know, in soundbite, but frankly... Something can actually be both bad and great. How about that now? How about that, folks? How about that? That's amazing. Some of the funniest feedback I've gotten about the pod so far oh, yeah? is that sometimes our episodes end up just being bad band, bad song. <laughs> and I think this is a pretty blatant example of that. So yeah. shout out to the fans. You know who you are. Oh, and C-Squad. Also, shout, shout out, out to, to C-Squad. C-Squad. Definitely shout out to C-Squad. Yeah. But beyond that. No, oh, beyond that. Steve Harwell, I hope you're okay, dude. Yeah, seriously, me too. You should probably holler at Swifty. He'll help you out. <laughs> well, <laughs> Swifty. What is their cover of All Star? It's just All Star. <laughs> well, on that note, folks, that's it. I think it's time to bid you all, the folks at home, good night and farewell. So, folks... Thank you for your time. This was a big, this was a chunky episode. Thank you for your time. Stay strange. Be kind. Oh, I hope you all had a great Halloween. Uh, Love yourselves, folks. Yeah, I could use a little fuel myself. <laughs> we could all use a little change. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Fed to the rules and I hit the ground running. Did it make sense just to live wow. for fun? Your brain gets smart, but your head gets dumb. Whoa. So much to do, so much to see, so what's wrong with taking wow. the back streets? You never know if you don't go. Woo. You never shine if you don't glow. You're supposed to say go, dude. Is that what I, I said? Okay. You I said woo. I, did, I was too hyped, man. I had no idea. That's right. You did write... It's parenthetical. I didn't know it was from me. It was. I mean, I just copy pasted lyrics from Google. You that Jerry? 
That was the energy I want. That was good stuff. Thank folks. Have a good. We'll see you in hell. <laughs> Have a good one. Hell, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Go to hell. Good night. Good night. Flavor Town, Flavor Town, Flavor Town.